And so as an entrepreneur, what I feel like you need to do, uh, especially if you're a CEO or leader or founder, uh, any sort of leadership position in these startups is think about and understand and, and try to have a good feel for a holistic understanding of how we can go quickly and efficiently while also maximizing the chances for success. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode, I sat down with Derek Herrera for a round two interview. He's the CEO of Bright Euro and served as an elite Marine officer in the United States military before suffering debilitating injuries while in the line of duty. Using his personal experience, Derek founded EuroDove Medical, Habit Camera, and his current company, Bright Euro. This latest venture aims to launch an innovative urology device that's meant to replace an invasive bladder diagnostic test that hasn't changed in decades. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, leverage your personal experience or close connection to the problem you're trying to solve. When developing medical devices, an intimate knowledge of patient or clinician challenges can be a powerful motivator and provide valuable insights into your target market. Two, to set your medtech startup up for success, you must carefully tread the line between efficiency and maximizing opportunities for success. From top to bottom, it's imperative that each person on your team clearly understands their role and the impact it has on the company's goals. Third, be ruthless with your decision-making during product development, incorporating only the most necessary features and having a clear picture of how you will navigate the regulatory landscape is crucial if you want to successfully launch your device in a cost-efficient way. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we recently released the second volume of MedSider Mentors, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last six months or so. Look, it's tough to listen or read every single MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Erica Rogers, CEO of Silk Road Medical, Dr. David Albert, founder of AliveCore, and so many others. In addition, as a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medtech and health tech entrepreneurs. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, Derek, welcome back to uh, MedSider Radio. Thank you. Pleasure to be here with you again. Yeah. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with Derek's background, we recorded uh, our first interview. Gosh, we're, we're doing this in late uh, in December of 2022. And it was probably, I don't know, 18 months ago, something like that, maybe like mid-2021. This is when we I, I think you had um, you just moved Spinal Singularity, which is now Eurodev, uh, to Minneapolis. So I think kind of mid-2021 timeframe, something, something around that around that. So uh, definitely if you're not familiar with Derek, we went kind of deep on his on his backgrounds in that in that first interview. Just uh uh, if you haven't listened, highly encourage you to uh, to do search for for Derek's name on MedSider, and you'll you'll find the first the first one. But um, let's start out, um, if you don't mind, Derek, for those listeners that didn't that haven't listened and are not maybe going to go back and listen to the to the first interview. Tell us a little bit more about uh, your your professional background leading up to um, starting Bright Euro. Yeah, so my background 
Prior to becoming an entrepreneur in the medical device industry, I served for eight and a half years as a Marine officer in the infantry and special operations community. And so I served as a, an infantry officer in places like Iraq and, and across the world. And then as a Marine Raider, which is kind of like Navy SEALs, uh, just you know, even better because we're Marines, you know, more handsome, run faster, jump higher, all those things. And so I was fortunate to become a special operations officer and served in Afghanistan. Uh, and unfortunately, in the line of duty, was injured in 2012 uh, in Afghanistan and, and suffered a spinal cord injury during an enemy firefight where I was left paralyzed from the chest down and still am today. And so was fortunate to survive that incident, came back, recovered, went back to graduate school and tried to figure out what was next and found passion and purpose in the medical device industry, trying to leverage the insight that I had from being a patient to develop new and innovative technologies to help people like me. And so in 2015, started Spinal Singularity, which is a company now called Eurodev Medical and developing the first fully internal extended use bladder management system for men with chronic urinary retention and transitioned that company to a new CEO a few years ago and have stayed obviously involved as a board member and contributor uh, to this day as we're working to get uh, the final stage of regulatory clearance. And then recently started a new company also in urology called Bright Euro, which is developing a miniature sensor for the bladder for diagnostic purposes, uh, replacing what is a currently outdated paradigm of, of urodynamics and urodynamic analysis and monitoring. And so that's that's my background. I've uh, been living here in Orange County, California for since 2011, so over 10 years now, and have headquartered the companies here and, and been working to, to try to make change since. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks for the background the background information. And Eurodev, which is the, the first device company that you started, that's based in Minneapolis, correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So we, uh, in 2020, I believe late 2020, uh, we'd hired a CEO based out of Minneapolis and decided to redomicile the company in yeah. Minneapolis for a lot of reasons. One, because you know the CEO was there, but two, for some of the listeners who may not know, Minneapolis is the hub for any urology device innovation. And so among other medical devices, specifically for urology because of the headquarters for Medtronic and, and what used to be American Medical Systems, Coloplast, all of the, the major companies and in the corporate side, the big, the big players are all up there. And so it's a really phenomenal ecosystem there. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And then, but Bright Euro based in Southern California in, or in Orange County. That's correct. But, yeah. uh, so we're headquartered here because I live here and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and all of our employees, all of our full-time employees with the exception of a couple of remote employees are all here, but we still have very strong ties to Minneapolis. So yeah. we have contract manufacturer there, R and D operations consultants there, clinical regulatory consultants there. I mean, you know, there's just a, a center of gravity of, of talent and experience there that if you haven't tapped into and you're in urology, you should start to work to, to do that because they know a lot more than me. I've been in the industry for, you know, almost 10 years, but these people have been you know, way, way longer than I have. And so right, uh, we're, right. we're fortunate to have, have access to that, that network. Yeah, Minneapolis certainly. Uh, I mean, I always kind of use the analogy. It's it's it's, uh, it's similar to it's like the Silicon Valley of, of the device space. But the caveat being, there's not a lot of startups, you know. In uh, in I think I think it's it's um, the ecosystem is maybe the startup ecosystem is maybe starting to improve a little bit in Minneapolis. But that's one thing that's always kind of surprised me, considering how many awesome uh, engineers that the engineering talent is is so is so prevalent. 
a really really great work ethic with within uh, within kind of the the device space. But uh, yeah, surprisingly, not a lot of startups. But maybe that's another 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 conversation. Um, so let's let's shift to, to Bright Aerial. So uh, you you started the company in uh, uh, just recently, but was it like 2021 ish? Yeah, just okay. so uh, we formed the entity in 2020. And so I formed the company, but there was a shell of a company, right? Because we were working through licensing and yep. all the basic startup formation and things. But really, we've been in business for for just under a year. Okay. Uh, so we raised money, uh, hired our first employees, and they started, you know, right before New Year's. Uh, Got it. So Bright Year about about a year into like active kind of operational type of type of work. Give us this give us an idea of like what what the product is and how the idea kind of you know came came to be. And then we'll kind of shift to kind of like some of the key key lessons like you've you've learned right uh, throughout your your journey in the, in the device space over the past you know uh, 10 years or so yeah the the device itself is a there's there's a few components to the system but it's a a system for aerodynamic monitoring and what it does is it's basically a miniature the heart of the system is the sensor and so we call it a sensor it's a small tube with flexible electronics and a power source on it that can be inserted through the urethra into the bladder stay there for a period of time inside the bladder, collecting data, specifically pressure and volume data. And then we can pull that device out and download that data wirelessly. And so the reason why that's a a big deal is because it's a functional assessment of the bladder. And it's a test that's been around. Your dynamics is a very comprehensive test that's been around for over 50 years. But the problem is, is that it's all catheter-based and console-based. So literally to, to do this test right now, you go into a clinic, you lay on a table, put your feet up in the stirrups, they stick a catheter in your bladder that's hooked up to this laptop and this giant infusion pump and this machine. They stick another one sometimes in your rectum or vagina. And then in about 10 minutes, they, they fill your bladder rapidly until you feel like you can't you know, hold it anymore. And then they ask you to urinate in front of them while they're watching, right? And that 10 minutes of data, that's the best thing that medicine has to offer. Unfortunately, that's not real. That's not physiologic. That's not the way that the bladder operates in the real world, right? Nobody's bladder fills in 10 minutes. Uh, that's not, it's not the way it works. All of that setting, the, the entire setting is based off of one thing, and that's the currently available technology. And so because these systems are very expensive, the console, the laptop, the printer, they still have like an actual printer attached to it to print off the paper so you can look at it in squiggly lines. They cost between thirty to one hundred thousand dollars, and so because of that, now clinicians only buy one, and so if they need to see patients, they can't spend hours and hours with a single patient. They would try to spend less than an hour with every single patient and turn this room so that they can make the money back on this machine that they invested in, and so all of these downstream effects occur based on that technology. And so for our technology, the reason it's different, and why we, we, we re-envision this, and the inventors, the original inventors, we've licensed this technology, so I'm not the original inventor. I didn't come up with this idea. But the way that they originally envisioned it was, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you had a, a low-cost sensor that could go in someone's bladder, stay there for a period of time, and they don't have to be stuck on the table, right? They can walk around. They can go home. They can do all these things and collect real-world, more physiologic data to help inform these treatment decisions that clinicians are making because this test is used and the information sometimes can help the clinician to understand what's going on, the underlying pathophysiology of the bladder and make a decision and say, hey, we're gonna send you in for a sling surgery to help with your incontinence. That's a highly invasive, very you know 
significant procedure with major side effects potentially. And so if that data is flawed and then you go under this surgery and it doesn't work, you know, it's not good for the patient. It's not good for the system. It's not good. The clinicians don't like doing that. Similarly for men with BPH, it's also an application, but, but what the test is designed to provide is a functional assessment of the bladder. And the way that our technology works is we've developed this single use low cost sensor that can be inserted into the bladder, stay there, collect this data, allow patients to go in their real world setting, eventually home in the home environment, and then provide not just more data, but more relevant and more physiologic data for the clinicians to rely upon. In addition to the clinical innovation and the technical innovation that also unlocks kind of a new opportunity and a fundamental opportunity to change the business model as well, Hmm. because now we can eliminate potentially that entire capital expenditure up front. And so if we get rid of the business or we get rid of the capital expenditure, we can make it easier for more clinicians to have this technology. In addition to that, on the business side, if we simplify and standardize the technology while also using a connected health platform, we can do we can aggregate this repository of high quality urological data that no one's been able to do before. And so all of that summarized with just a, the simple story is urodynamic monitoring today is like halter monitoring was 10 years ago. And so we want to be like iRhythm, which is a wearable ECG monitoring company, the company that kind of revolutionized wearable ECG monitoring. We want to be like iRhythm for urology and and make all the same changes that they've, they've made for the types of patients that we can serve. Got it. Got it. And so if I'm uh, j- just to, just to make sure I fully understand it from a patient's perspective, I go to a clinic, I get this little chip uh, or this little uh, sensor uh, inserted, right? And, and is that it? I kind of, I go about my, my, my day, you know, for whatever, few days, weeks, maybe I don't know, exactly. something like that. And then I, I go back in and, and, and it's removed then after a certain point, point in time. Yes, Got exactly. It. And Got so it. the, the nuance, the only nuance I'd add to that is specifically what we're pursuing is for the first generation product in order to, to have a risk profile that enables a 510k process through regulatory to get it on the market quickly. And also qualify potentially for the existing reimbursement that's available for coding and coverage and payment. What we're doing for this first generation product is just in clinic use. And so patient comes into the clinic, a nurse, MA, doctor, someone who's trained, trained clinician can insert it in the bladder quickly and easily. The patient can then get up and walk around. They don't have to sit in the room, right? You can go in the waiting room, you can go get a coffee, you can go walk around. Once your bladder fills back up and you need to urinate, you come back in, use the bathroom that they specifically ask you to use so that you can have the data from that urination, that voiding cycle. And then that's the minimum threshold of data collection that we have. So it might be an hour, two hours, three hours, depending upon the patient. And if that's enough to get the data that they need, you can pull the device out and download the data right there. And so so that's the, the minimum. But what happens a lot of times is it may take more than one voiding cycle. So for some patients, they may need an extended period of monitoring. Um, and so this first generation product, the, the indication for use will be in clinic use for up to 24 hours. And so obviously not everybody's going to be there for 24 hours, but that's kind of the, the upper bound that we're bounded by for our initial 510k application. Beyond that, we're going to run clinical studies and submit an expansion eventually once we have the data to show that it's safe and effective for patients to go home with this device for even longer periods of time. So potentially up to three days. Because sometimes, and, and this test is done frequently, but sometimes there's patients that, that have a really hard time with what's called symptom replication. And so if you can't replicate the symptoms, you know, the test sometimes is inconclusive. 
And so that's what the problem is, is if you're only in there for 10 minutes in this artificial environment, literature shows almost half the time, it doesn't actually replicate the symptoms that you complained about when you go in. And so imagine you're a patient, you don't want to go into this test that only has a 50% chance of even giving any data that's conclusive for the clinician. And if you're the clinician, you're like, I don't want to buy this $100,000 piece of machine and then take up this room and do this test if it's only going to give me data half the time, right? Uh, and so that's where we want to go is be able to send patients home for a few days because what we're, we're confident we'll see in the data, and we've already seen in some of the initial feasibility data that we have is that it's going to create a significant enhancement in the amount of, in the diagnostic yield from the data that we can provide. And as a diagnostic company, that's how we can create value, right? Is providing information that's either not already obtainable or, or enhanced yield, which can create value and capture value down the line, specifically things like, you know, uh, informing the treatment pathway, potentially, you know, improving outcomes from those therapies, getting the right patients, the right treatment at the right time. Right. And that's long-term where we want to go with this technology. Got it. That's super, uh, super helpful overview. And, um, I want to circle back around to your your thoughts uh, around reg and uh, and, and reimbursement because I think that not only is is like super savvy right uh, from from your perspective, but I think it's uh, it'd be beneficial to kind of uh, for other other uh, med tech health tech entrepreneurs to understand kind of like how you went about uh, approaching approaching those those various paths. But um, real quickly, I know you you brought up the uh, the Holter monitor example, but the, you know your the 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 bright Eurotech it kind of reminds me of um, of like sleep studies, right? Like 10, 15 years ago, you'd have to go into the center and this still happens today, right? Uh, you'd have to go into the center. It's super clunky. It's not, it doesn't represent like a re, you know, like your real life kind of sleeping environment where now there's all kinds of different devices available. You know, fast forward 15, 20 years. Um, I think Inspire, I believe it's Inspire, right? They're, I think they're doing exceptionally well right now with like, you know, a device that's meant to be used at home. You know, then you've got like more health tech devices, like, like the Aura Ring, um, et cetera. Uh, and so, yeah, kind of, it kind of reminds me of like what you're, that's what I, that's what I thought of, you know, hearing you describe kind of what you're doing for the, uh, the Eurodynamic uh, kind of problem, uh, Eurodynamic uh, uh, dynamics, I should say, uh, kind of problem is kind of like what it what reminded me of the, the, the sleep scenario. But, but that said, let, let's, let's transition into kind of some, some key functional topics that I think uh, would be, would be um, interesting, right. For other, other folks listening and to kind of see, see how you've gone about uh, building and operating uh, bright Euro kind of in its, in its formative years. I want to talk a little bit about reg and reimbursement, but let's start with like just the initial kind of alpha, alpha devices, right. You started spinal singularity, right? So you had a, you have a, you know a, a fair amount of experience, kind of thinking about alpha and beta. You also started habit camera, which I, I think we'll we'll probably spend. We we talked about that in the first the first go around. We probably won't spend a ton of time in this discussion talking about habit camera. But net net, you've got a fair amount of experience thinking about like how how do you design alpha and beta right to get to market as as ideally as quick as possible, right? So you're not you know burning tons of cash, you know, designing and, and iterating on on various devices. So for other folks that are kind of in in a similar scenario, right? Maybe they're one, two, three years into their startup. What what are kind of like the key lessons that you've learned? You know, making you know if, making that process as efficient as possible, where you're where you're being able to, you know, you're demonstrating feasibility, right. But not wasting a ton, a ton of time and resources kind of in those, in those early, early stages. Yeah, it's a, a great conversation to have. And, and I think if I were to, to summarize just some of the key lessons that I've learned, there's a constant. So uh, just, just the, the, the opening disclaimer is, especially in our line of work, there is no compromise for patient safety or any sort of, you know, unnecessary risk for any patients, whether it's clinical studies or anything along those lines. So, so with that disclaimer aside, 
the way that I feel and what I've kind of like come to grips with as an entrepreneur in this space over the past few years is you have limited resources, both time and money, and you have to make traction and show something compelling as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible. And so you have to be really ruthless and judicious with how you deploy capital and drawing the line of every single thing that you spend a minute on or a dime on, how is that furthering you in achieving the goal that's going to actually unlock additional funding opportunities or, or milestones? And so in some of the earliest stages, the way that can look is how quickly can we get a functional prototype on the bench? How quickly can we get a functional prototype in animals? How quickly can we get a functional prototype in humans, right? All of those things and, and understanding the nuances and the challenges and, and any sort of like programmatic or, or project management efficiencies and, and understanding like what exactly has to be done this minute, this hour, this day for us to get, you know, get into that, get into clinic, right? With our first and human, our feasibility data. And what do I need to see there to be successful? And so, so there's this constant ebb and flow of doing that. And the, the challenge that I've found and, and kind of where I think the best entrepreneurs that I've seen are able to navigate and no one can do it perfectly because you know, until there's hindsight, you know, you don't know, but you're, you're constantly trying to walk this line of rapid iteration and getting something out quickly, but also making sure that it's actually going to succeed. Right. And so you're walking this balance because you could just spend forever and have all the money and spend all the money in the world to test it. And, you know, and then whenever you get there, right, you know, it's going to work perfectly. Right. Maybe, maybe not. Most of the time it doesn't, you always learn something. Right. But you also don't want to just go too quickly. So there's kind of this, this line you have to walk. Right. And so it's a healthy balance at the end of the day. And so as an entrepreneur, what I feel like you need to do uh, especially if you're a CEO or leader or founder, uh, any sort of leadership position in these startups is think about and understand and and try to have a good feel for a holistic understanding of how we can go quickly and efficiently while also maximizing the chances for success. And so one example of that would be, yeah, we can rush into clinic and go into a first and human and make sure we're not going to hurt anybody because this is not a, you know, I'm in urology where a lot of the stuff that we're doing is at least, you know, the methods that we're using and the devices we're doing, my experience, most of my experiences in non-life-threatening, non-life, you know, non-significant risk studies and devices. But if you go into clinic and then you learn something you could have learned on the bench, right? And you failed or there's something you would have, op- you wish you would have optimized on the bench, you know, it's an expensive lesson to learn, right? Right. So like, and now having had those types of lessons and trying to figure that out, it's, it's, you know, uh, it's a constant push and pull of like, how much time do we spend perfecting or trying to get, you know, what's acceptable, what's good enough, right? Because nothing's going to be perfect, right? But you also don't want to learn major lessons in a more expensive, more costly environment when you could have done that in a more cheap and more inexpensive way. Yeah. And so- those are the types of things I think about on a day-to-day basis. And then with respect to the overarching you know, milestones and the, the goals for the company, this one, I think we're on the right track and I've talked to enough people and we have a strategy, but at the same time, you know, we've talked to other people that have a lot of experience in industry and they have different thoughts, but what we tried to optimize for all of our company operations at Bright Euro thus far is how quick can we get a product on the market that clinicians will love and want to use and patients will you know, enjoy as well. That's also reimbursed, right? And so that's not perfectly black and white, right? Like some of that's gray, 
And some of that's where kind of the art and what I think is really unique and, and exciting about the medical device industry specifically, as opposed to like pharma or some of these other industries is it's not always binary. It's not perfectly black and white all the time. There's some gray and that, that enables ambiguity and uncertainty. But as an entrepreneur, I think the people that are successful in this industry, you know, they're able to navigate that well and thrive mm-hmm. in that environment. And so, you know, you can look at it as this like stressor and this challenge, but at the same time, those types of stressors and risks and challenges are also exciting, right? Like yep. it gives you impact, right? Because you're, when you're successful doing it, it's, it's something unique and, and hard and challenging and worth pursuing and, and impactful, um, both personally and professionally. And so, uh, so that's kind of the way we've thought about managing the lines between how quick do you go? How efficient can you go? You know, there's orders of magnitude, right? So like, what am I doing this week, this month, this year, but goal setting and operational efficiency, you know, has to really be something that people in the company are are cognizant of and thinking of and being able to draw the lines of like, yeah, I'm a junior R and D engineer, but what am I doing today? And what company goal is this going to help us accomplish? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing this packaging study, this pouch sealing qualification, because I need to get this done before we can get into our first and human. And this is, you know, the timeline that we're going to, right? Or 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 whatever, uh, whatever the situation may be. Yep. But that's the better organizations that I've seen is where those people are all aligned and and unified in that goal, that vision and and the missions that they're on. Right. I totally agree um with your thoughts around scenarios in, 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 in med tech, right. That are uh, ambiguous, right. And there, there is, there is gray area. The, the best, the best operators that I've kind of been around have always leaned in to those areas. Right. I mean, there are, there are clear hurdles, they're clear obstacles. Right. But as long as you're not handcuffed, you know, the best will lean in and, and, and kind of figure out a way. Right. Um, and, you know, sort of some, you know, through kind of a combination of domain expertise plus creativity, right. We'll kind of be able to cross some of those hurdles. So I, I totally, I'm totally right there with you. And I love, I love the, the, the framework, right. That you, that you mentioned, and I'm, I'm going to kind of paraphrase here, but like just understanding like those key inflection points when you're, when you're, you know, you, you're in your um, uh, earlier phases of development, knowing that we need to get to bench, then we need to get to animal in most scenarios and then, and then human. And it's a big, it's, it, it's a, it's a failure if we're getting to animal, you know, doing animal labs and we realize something that could have been, uh, that could have uh, sort of surfaced you know, during benchtop testing, right? And kind of just thinking, thinking through like what are what do we want to uncover, right, on bench, right? And then what are we going to try to try to attempt to uncover, you know, in animal labs that we couldn't we couldn't discover, right, during during benchtop testing and kind of understanding those key inflection points in those early earliest phases, I think, is a just a great a great lens, great great kind of framework to kind of uh, be be utilizing, um, you know, for any uh, any any startup. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CBRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.